start of briefing. Welcome to episode 5 of Chiefs of Station. Today we have my very good friend, Harrison Walker, join us to discuss about his experience in private sector intelligence and also to give us his perspectives about being a black man working in intelligence in America. All right, Harrison Walker, thank you very much for taking the time today. It's been a while since you and I had the opportunity to catch up. I used to work with you in, in a former role in my former life. Uh, but why don't you give us an introduction about who you are and what you're currently doing? Yeah, thanks for having me. Happy to be here. Um, my name's Harrison. I have been in private sector intelligence community. It's gotta be going on five, six years now. Um, it's been great, been in a lot of different roles, a lot of different companies currently at a, you know, a tech company here. Um, and, you know, you know, happy to get into it. Love, love the industry. It's, it's my passion, as you know, Efren. <laughs> so I'm um, happy Absolutely. to be back. So why don't you tell me a little bit about your educational background? And how, how did you get into, how did you branch into private sector? How did you end up getting your first job? And how challenging was it to get that first job? It, it is a very competitive field. Yes, you're, you're right. Um, and I, I'm going to be honest, it was a combination of, you know, the hard work, the uh, a little bit of luck that went into that too. Um, background on my education, I was a criminal justice major. Um, concentrating in forensic psychology. I had a psychology minor. Um, that was all for undergrad. And my last year, my last year in school, I was uh, offered the opportunity for an internship um, with a big, a bigger company, I'll say. And they uh, had me, you know, going through the, the motions of what the security kind of private sector world was. It's never something I considered before that point. And after the fact, after the internship, they asked me to stay on um, for a little bit. And I did. And, uh, and then after that, I was able to, you know, secure another uh, internship in a, at a separate company and kind of a similar story. Um, this one was a little bit more intelligence involved. And I fell in love with the, the private sector. I fell in love with the, you know, intelligence work. And I decided then and there, I was like, I, whatever my plans were previously, they were out the window. This is, this is what I wanted to do. And, uh, you know, from there, hit the ground running and the rest is history. Now, what's, how challenging was it to transition from being a student and being in that more or less academic mindset to actually being a practitioner? Uh, I've, I've taught some students and when we first approach the drafting of intelligence assessments, tribal security assessments. Uh, they, they have, it's very challenging for them to, to think outside of that academic mindset, outside of that, the way that they structure essays, right? They, they're having difficulties writing for intelligence. Did you have the same challenge? And if so, how do you overcome it? That's a great question. Um, I'd say for me, the uh, biggest challenge was that uh, the research aspect, because when you're writing a paper for, for uh, a class in college, you know, you're researching, you know what the question is, and, you know, it doesn't really branch too far off of that, whereas in the intelligence community, you're doing your research, 
you never know what's going to pop up and what you're going to have to include. And also the aspect of uh, knowing what to include and what to not include, what to exclude from, from your reporting is huge. Um, I found that my uh, writing style completely changed as soon as I started getting into the uh, security and intelligence reporting mindset. Um, I'm not including things that don't need to be there, uh, kind of short, sweet, and to the point of um, you know what's going on and also knowing my audience. Your audience is gonna change completely from a, a college professor who's you know grading your writing, grading what you're putting in there and all of that. Yeah. Whereas uh, as, as you know, in the uh, intel world you're it's a completely different audience depending on where you are you're you're looking at you know your everyday average employee you're looking at ceos you're, you're writing to a bunch of different people so you have to know how to be able to transition your writing style pretty quickly yep uh you and i have in common that we both work in the pharmaceutical industry uh and then we ended up working together in the media industry but um let's touch right now on working in different industries. How was your time at the pharmaceutical industry? Was there anything that really piqued your interest or was this pretty much a um, uh, something that reassured you that this, is, this was your career path? Um, in my case, uh, working in pharma was extremely interesting. I, had, I was exposed to the monitoring of uh, animal rights extremists, not the animal rights activists. I don't want people to misunderstand talking about the bad people that throw Molotov cocktails at richer laboratories. Um, but it was, it was extremely interesting being exposed to this type of threats and how these threats, uh, these different organizations may target an individual or facilities. Um, it was a lot pretty similar to what I've read about intelligence in government, but instead of keeping an eye on the homeland, this was keeping an eye on on a company, employees, infrastructure, reputation. Um, how was your first time working in pharma, uh, dealing with these different threats? I would say probably a, a similar reaction to what you're saying. It was it was very different um, to see from that point of view that like, the extremists that would uh, be threatening the company for X Y Z reasons in terms of research and development and testing. Um, as well as, you know, that still that whole mission of any private sector until your 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 first, I guess, priority is you're you're protecting people still. That's you know, that's the goal. That's the end goal too. Um, as well as, you know, all those other things are very important in terms of reputational risk, you know, XYZ, things like that. You you're you're still protecting people. That's kind of the bottom line. And the farmer world, it's it extends, you know, employees of the company, but also any patients that are out there that uh, can be using those products that are that are you know getting potentially life saving medicine, so it extends beyond that, and it also gave me kind of uh, that purpose that you know, hey, I'm 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 doing something good, we're doing something good here. I'm helping somebody, which was important to me, especially I went into you know the criminal justice major in college, and the idea was, what can I use this for to help somebody? And um, I'll be honest, when I switched, I guess, career paths, I didn't know if I was gonna, it was gonna get that fulfillment that I was looking for. And then pharma, I was able to find out, yeah, I can, I can still do that. I can still get that, you know, reason behind why I'm doing this. And- uh, What was it that you wanted to do? 
uh, when you graduated? Were you just like me that you, you I, I, for example, I wanted to join the intelligence community or law enforcement. Uh, was that the same, that you had the same end goal? Uh, kind of, yeah, it was definitely law enforcement. However, the intelligence aspect of it didn't really come into play. Um, I wanted, <laughs> it sounds ridiculous, I wanted to be on the ground running around helping people like in a very physical aspect. And then I, for one reason or another, got got behind a computer and started doing research and putting out reports. And I said, this is what I love. Now, from pharma, you ended up working, we ended up working together uh, in the media industry. Uh, and it, it's very particular because uh, to some extent it was more, uh, this, this, this is more what I pictured working in government was going to be like because we had access to raw information coming from 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 the journalists. Right, we had a, a platform that that had information that was being curated. We got to we were exposed to the news cycle. Yeah, uh, we we were also exposed to um, uh, human source intelligence coming from different sources. It, it's it was definitely a step up in terms of. Uh, the type of information I was dealing with and you were dealing with from the pharma world. The pharma world for me at least was very hush-hush. Mm -hmm. uh, this was more, let's look at the threats and the threats were um, of, of a wide variety. They, they were not just uh, uh, animal rights uh, or anything like that. But let me ask you, um, what's, what, what's it drastic for you to switch from from pharma to the media? And what is it about the media industry that uh, really helped you uh, develop yourself as an analyst? Because it, it was a very unstructured environment. I mean, we, if you recall, we had sometimes to do uh, uh, travel security reports in a matter of two hours because the journalists were already traveling somewhere, Syria or Northern Mexico. Yeah. Um, so I'll start with what kind of drew me to the area and to be honest it was uh, a friend that you and I both know uh, that was working there and thought I'd be a good fit went and interviewed and couldn't say no it's it's you know it was it was an opportunity for me to learn a different you know part of the intelligence community and, and kind of expand my knowledge base um, and that was kind of the goal going into this I was, I was still new to the area new to the uh, industry and I wanted to you know expand on that um as far as like how it was it was it was very different um the only way I could describe it is it was broad and specific at the same time um especially compared to <laughs> the pharma community um yeah. pharma was you know it had its points but it was, it was pretty specific what we were looking for um whereas in media's anything and everything that could be happening. It's anything and everything that the journalists wanted to cover. Um, so one, it expanded, like, I learned so much about parts of the world I never thought I would. I've learned so much about different situations and, uh, you know, different groups that, that I was monitoring. And like you said, it, keep, it keeps you on your toes. Like, a journalist wants to go somewhere in a few hours, we have to have a report ready. We have to be able to monitor what's going on in that area. So. It was- but What do you find challenging? Um, aside from like that aspect of it, it, was, it was, there was uh, definitely a learning curve in terms of getting something quickly out. 
Um, there's that aspect of it. Um, another challenging aspect was the fact that you had to know about a lot of stuff that in retrospect seems kind of random. Like if I was to talk to somebody outside of the industry and say, hey, um, I did a report this week about one about earthquakes, one about uh, extremism, and then another about climate uh, events that are all impacting quote unquote security in different areas. I never like who would who would think that one job is going to cover all of that and it's it's what we did every day there so it was, I think that was it was the most it was the biggest thing that I had to get used to is uh figuring that portion out well that and you got to deal with me on a daily basis <laughs> <laughs> yes that was that was always a challenge <laughs> thank you <laughs> and so what about the tech industry you know um because you've because right now you're, 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 you're currently working in the tech industry. And so um, how does that compare to pharma and media in your, yeah. in your sort of perspective? Because it's been switch up to switch up. Yes, <laughs> you're right. I don't, I, don't, uh, I don't know how to, to describe it. Because like I said, the pharma to media was being broad and specific at the same time. And then tech is it's not nearly as specific as pharma, not nearly as broad as, as media, but it's its own thing. You're gonna have to, there's a lot more reputational um, risk, I'll call it, than, than I was anticipating. Um, and at the same time, and that this might just be coming from, you know, how long I've been in the industry now, at the same time, there is still that aspect of just the randomness that that can go on. Um, I was just thinking, like, in my in past industries, it's you know somebody may target the specific company. That's much less likely to happen now where I'm at. It's it's very unlikely that somebody's going to target my specific tech company. Um, so I'm not necessarily too worried about that. Whereas you know, in a media company, absolutely people <laughs> people hate the media or love yep. the media. It's, it's, it's usually one of the extremes. Um, whereas, you know, in the tech company, it's, it's where it can happen and it does happen, especially for a lot of those, you know, high profile companies, but it's not necessarily one of my main worries. Um, it's more, you know, that reputational risk of if, if they're putting something very specific out or, you know, I'm more worried about things happening in, in certain areas that won't be targeting, you know, the company but we'll still have that impact, which is another thing I had to learn. Um, impact doesn't necessarily just come from targeted risk, targeted threats. It's, it can come from anywhere. Um, if somebody nearby is getting targeted, if, if just something random happens in the area, it's, it's still risk, it's still security risk that you have to keep track of. Yeah, and you know, I, 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 I think it's something that's not talked about so much, you know, um, and we're calling it a switch up, but a lot of people don't understand that uh, being able to do your intelligence analysis is only one part of the picture because there's an entire spectrum of types of organizations with different kinds of issues. Um, because uh, um, sitting here and listening to media and pharma and uh, knowing knowing that there's 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 other other entire aspects like people who work in mining and and extractives, the the, the oil and gas industries, etc. That's an entirely different setup. Um, but, uh, you know, I think it's also very important to sort of step into another aspect, um, which, uh, which 
which is definitely on the minds and tongues of a lot of people. I know that recently um, this this uh, question of diversity in 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 the intelligence world, as far as the government is concerned, is something that's being written about. It's being discussed, and actually, with the recent appointments, uh, which had to do with the CIA and so on and so forth, it's a very big issue. Um, but also something that's not directly tackled within private sector intelligence. You know, maybe we've been dealing with this yet yeah, in, in, in like government circles, which brings me to asking a very, very direct question that, you know, what's, what's been your experience as, as, as someone who's black of color, if you want to call it that, um, uh, working in intelligence and, you know, um, have you ever felt like you were being discriminated or perhaps or sort of perhaps not taken uh, seriously directly or indirectly? Um, to answer the first part of the question, uh, it's, I won't say it's any more difficult than, you know, any other aspect of being black in any other industry. Um, but I will say, especially private sector, um, a lot of you know, corporate world is, it's a, a white men's club. Uh, so coming in for the most part, I'm usually the only black person on my team. Um, it's not always the case, but even when I'm not, leadership, my leadership is usually uh, white men. So it's like, it takes a toll when you just notice, you know, you, you don't see anybody like you advancing. You don't see anybody like you in the industry, really. Um, so, you know, there, there's always that aspect. And I, I don't think it's uh, specific to the intelligence private sector. Um, I think it's indicative of all, you know, most of corporate world. Um, do I see that changing? I see definite efforts in some parts of uh, the world, some companies, some, some countries. Yeah, I do see efforts to try and, you know, combat this but you know it's going to take time and it's it's you're going to have to see what people are actually willing to do besides you know just saying so or hiring a diversity board or something like that there's going to be there's going to have to be some actual you know physical real change um so we'll see how that goes uh second part of the question have i ever felt you know discriminated discriminated against or not taken seriously um <laughs> i i only laugh because I'm a black man in America I, it, every day. Every day I see this, every day I feel this. Um, in the workplace, outside of the workplace. Um, yeah, there's been stuff said to me that, you know, I just know wouldn't have been said to a white counterpart. Um, there's been, you know, snide comments. I've had, you know, myself brought up issues uh, that I think we should be researching or we should be looking into in terms of intelligence. And it's swept away because it's quote unquote not important or it's quote unquote we won't get back to it and then I've had a white counterpart bring up the same thing a few weeks later and it's taken on with with a new initiative um it happens uh I'm aware that it happens and that's that's one of those aspects that's part of what definitely needs to change in the industry um people need to understand that you know having different voices in a room is only going to strengthen the department um everybody coming from the same place, having the same background is just gonna make you very narrow. And in this industry being broad is, is what it's about. You're gonna to have to have expertise in a bunch of different areas. And uh, you can't really have that with just one type of person working there. Yeah, and I guess, you know, a second part is, you know, uh, how do you see the playing field 
in Intel um, as far as minorities are concerned, because obviously your, 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 your personal experience plays into this in a very large way, but uh, you know, there's this an other sort of entire dimension. There's a lot of groups that we would, we would also consider whose, uh, whose particular experiences we don't necessarily take into account or what is necessarily affecting them. Um, so I don't know, do you think that the current state is fair? And uh, are we in a place where, you know, we've achieved a fine balance and where we have a more inclusive industry? Because fine, you've just said that you haven't seen um, many other black counterparts, you know, uh, but uh, um, so what are the status of the rest of the minorities and, and the entire field, whether it, it is moving in the right direction in terms of becoming more inclusive or is it a sort of a hard knock kind of kind of issue where it's not really being um, taken directly all these divergent points and so on and so forth yeah good question um definitely it's one of those things that as far as i can see needs to be worked on a lot um it's again another example is that i don't see a lot of women uh, as counterparts in the industry. Um, it's, it's something, and I think it, it stems back like a long time, uh, getting, you know, women into certain aspects of the workforce, getting black people into certain aspects of the workforce. Um, they've been excluded from a lot for so long that I think people are, people in leadership are having trouble trying to find the right way to, to fix the issue. Um, do I think the appetite is there? Uh, Sometimes third certain companies are. It seems like it, but like I said, it's it's hard to tell without that. You know, co those concrete steps to actively make change. Um, I think that's what we need to look for in terms of if we could tell if there's you know a pathway forward, a viable pathway forward to to increase diversity, to increase um, these certain groups in the uh, intelligence, especially the corporate private sector intelligence world. Uh, do I think we're there yet? Absolutely not. Um, I don't think there's, you know, fair footing. I don't think there's uh, a level of um, acceptance in the industry, especially from people that have been in it for so long, which those people tend to be in leadership. Um, and yeah, they're great at their job, but sometimes they can be a little stuck in their ways and not uh, realize what they're missing out on in terms of having other viewpoints in the room. So I think that's, where the where the issue lies, um, not completely, but a, a big part of it is is people that don't they're stuck in their ways. They they are in leadership now and they have the opportunity to make the change, but they don't realize they need to yet. Yeah, I think that with regards to um, having a, a a fine balance and have a more inclusive industry, I guess sometimes security departments or I'm I'm just gonna you know say maybe. HR departments, they think that they just, they, they can check the boxes by having, uh, you know, X amount of people from, you know, either you know, Black Americans or Hispanics, right, being in, in a department and that will make it more, I guess, equal. Um, not the case when, I mean, you and I worked in a, in, in a very diverse unit in the media industry, uh, Harrison, um, yeah. but, you um, the way that our opinion was treated at times, not always, but at times left a lot to be desired. And it really showed uh, the, that certain people were taken more seriously. And yeah. 
and that really that, that really shows that no matter if you have a i guess uh, equality in terms of how many people you employ like uh, this many people are blacks this many people are hispanic this many people are white and they're all equal in numbers that doesn't mean that you have achieved equality at all <laughs> yes yeah. it, it's how you treat how you give these people opportunities to to develop i agree wholeheartedly and the team that we worked on i I believe that was the most diverse team I've ever been on mm -hmm. in and outside of the uh, private sector intelligence field. Um, I've never had a team that was that diverse, but also, like you said, it, not, not everyone is treated uh, equally. Not everybody's opinions were, were valued the same. So um, it, having the diversity there is one thing, but there's, there's more to be desired. There's more that's necessary to really you know, get to the next level of what it could mean for, for different companies, for your department, for whatever. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, to sort of put that to perspective, you know, if that's the way that things are currently set up, you know, where you can feel this, this, this cold wind that you can't really talk about, but, you know, you kind of have to, um, whether this, uh, whether, whether this little cold, brr, but, uh, um, and, and, I wouldn't miss this opportunity to ask something that, you know, is in the public sphere seen as very, very sensitive. And of course, I'm really going to rely on you as an analyst here. And because you would have been directly, you know, sort of affected by this, that, you know, Black Lives Matter, you know, from an, from an, from an Intel point of view, you're the analyst sitting in the office, you're, you're, you're the race, which is a subject of discussion and these public events are taking place and you're obviously monitoring and, you know, I'm sure that there's some way in which it takes a toll or in which sometimes people will also um, take some of your analysis with an intentional grain of salt because they, they anticipate some bias in the way that you will be presenting those things, but also your own internal issues with trying to remain very frank and very objective on what on what you're seeing and what constitutes violence and et cetera, et cetera. Um, and knowing that, you know, this is something that affects you the moment you walk out of the office. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, it's, it's a little bit of a matrix of the question, uh, but yeah. Um, fill me in, Matt, fill me in. <laughs> it's, a, it's a great question because it's, it's something I think about every time, especially now with everything going on, I, uh, I don't have a choice but to think about it, um, both at work and when I leave. Um, I guess my, the best thing I uh, can say is in everything I do in the industry, my opinions are, are left at the door. I have to make sure that um, what I'm putting together as much as I can, like I know everybody has their biases, everybody has a point of view, as much as I can, I try to just leave that at the door when I'm putting together a report, something like that uh, for, for the team. Um, and I know for a fact it happens, people, people will see uh, me writing something and then read it and already, like you said, put that intentional grain of salt in there. Um, is this really what's going on? They're, they're, they're not taking it as me as a professional, this is my job. I know how to do this and I'm writing this, this is why you guys hired me. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's, it's not taken um, as seriously as I 
would prefer and or a series as I put the effort into, um, especially considering when I do leave, I am going to have these opinions. And unlike a lot of people in the industry, they're not going to have to to face some of the some of the music that I have to face on my day to day life. Um, so, yeah, there's there's a lot of that aspect going on now to get into specifics with Black Lives Matter. Um, I, like I said, I'll, I'll try my darndest to, to make sure everything's done in a non-biased way. Um, and to be honest, I'll, it, it, it isn't that difficult for the most part uh, to put together a report based on what's happened. Um, get the facts and report the facts. And um, even if there's some, you know, any sort of analysis in terms of predictive analysis, trend analysis, what's actually been going on, uh, that you know can throw a wrinkle into things, but it's it's not difficult to report facts. Um, and the fact that somebody can come back to me and say, "Could you word this differently?" or "Do you think this wording shows bias?" and I've noticed the best thing I can do is stick to my guns. Um, I've been in the industry long enough to know I know what I'm doing, and my opinion here should be valued especially if I'm writing something for you on this topic and leaving all of my opinions at the door and just reporting the facts to you, I'll, I'll leave my reports as they are because, uh, you know, it's coming from one, this experience that I have in the industry, um, but two, an aspect that a lot of people don't necessarily have, um, uh, 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 an introspection, I can say, where I can look in and say, am I genuinely putting this together in a non-biased way. Whereas, you know, from the other side, they don't get asked that question. Um, and sometimes they should, it doesn't happen. So yeah, I, I stick to my guns more so now than uh, I would have in the past as like, you know, a beginner analyst, a beginner in the world, but that's the best thing I, you know, can do now. Um, I know what I'm doing is correct. I know I'm reporting the facts. And I, uh, I think that is what, you know, every situation calls for not just this one. Harrison, now I've, intelligence units in the private sector, of course, have been monitoring uh, Black Lives Matter activities because of uh, the violence that has, um, has taken place during some of the rallies, right? Mm -hmm. um, some white nationalists have blamed Black Lives Matter saying that they are the ones causing all the violence. Uh, of course, I've also heard from 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 other sources that uh, obviously you always have opportunistic uh, entities, organizations uh, partaking in these uh, organized events uh, to instigate violence. It is something that is widely known. For example, in in Latin America and in, in Brazil, where you, whenever you have students, uh, you're going to have anarchists blending in, instigating violence. It is not a surprise if that's if that's uh, is what what is happening. Uh, or what happened with, during Black Lives Matter uh, protests. So what is your point of view as an intelligence professional um, about uh, the different uh, violent events during this, uh, these protests? Yeah. Um, so off the bat, you know, I, I don't condone violence. Um, it's not something that, you know, I find to be extremely productive in terms of getting a lot of progress. Um, I think that you're right. There are, and there's been people, um, white nationalists that have been caught at Black Lives Matter rallies causing some damage. Um, 
And, you know, while I can't say what their end goal was, it seems likely it's just something along those lines of trying to, you know, instigate more violence to, 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 to paint Black Lives Matter with, you know, a certain color. Um, I think that it's important to be very careful when, when you know, reporting on these because of things like that. Um, at the same time, you, you can't, you know, say that's every bit of violence that's gone on. Um, people are angry. Uh, there's been, you know, these Black Lives Matter spotted off because, you know, a lot of unarmed Black men, unarmed Black people have been killed by the state for, for no real reason. People are going to be angry, so no one should be surprised, I'm not saying that it's okay, but no one should be surprised that uh, some violence goes on when you have a lot of angry people in one area. It's just, you know, mob mentality can take over. I understand that. Um, but no, there's there's always going to be that that aspect of other there's other variables always when you have a mob of people together you can't every everybody there is not of the same mind or of the same group especially when you have counter protesters there and stuff goes into a complete mess and it's just oh. people running around who's doing what it's hard to say um, that's why you know a lot of the times when you report the facts you're not going to get caught up in a lot of kind of the muck there. You're, you're reporting the facts, X, Y, Z happened. Um, it's unclear who instigated this. You can, you can use wording like that. You can use, you know, your observations like that to make sure, hey, this is what we know. And you don't have to get into what, you know, you don't know you were, or what you think might've happened. There was a lot of political instability for the past three to four years here in the United States. And we saw an increase in uh, social unrest. Uh, from uh, Black Lives Matter or uh, other organizations, right? Uh, but we also saw that uh, a lot of white nationalists protesting. And they were usually the ones that were organizing this kind of protest for Black Lives Matter. Uh, so um, since we touched on the white nationalists, I want to switch and then write the focus on this, on this topic as a threat, right? Yeah. Um, how do you see uh, white nationalists or the domestic terrorists uh, affecting uh, private sector companies? How is it that uh, you are tackling this as an intelligence analyst? Yeah, uh, great question. So as you know, actually, when we were together um, in the media industry, uh, white nationalism and domestic terrorism was something I kind of uh, gained a lot of interested, interest in and started doing a lot of research into. Um, and the last four or five years have been, you know, rampant with growth in membership of that, you know, uh, those groups, uh, growth in, in numbers of rallies and violence overall. Um, and I think, unfortunately, right now, a lot of people aren't taking it as seriously as uh, they need to be. Um, and where I think that stems from is a couple areas. One, like I said, a lot of at least leadership and a lot of actually just overall uh, members of the intelligence community are white males. Um, not saying at all that they agree with what's going on. It's just they don't have the uh, introspection of a black man in America saying that can actually, you know, see, hey, things are leveling up. This is where, you know, it's happened in the past and this is where we've seen it going just in my life experience. Um, they don't, they aren't necessarily aware of the kind of the warning signs that are there. Um, 
And then the other aspect, the other thing I, I think that they, that the intelligence world is missing out on is they think that, you know, they're a private company, they're not going to really have to deal with this. A lot of the white nationalist groups are anti-government. Um, they're not the government. A lot of them are pro-private sector. This is a private sector. They, like, they shouldn't have to worry about them being attacked. Um, what I will say is, one, any violence that is happening in and around an office is a threat to you. It's, it has potential to cause harm to one, your, your business, your, your offices, your whatever has potential to cause harm to your employees um, and reputation. A lot of these companies right now are putting out ads or putting out marketing or, or whatever to say, hey, you know, we're diverse, we're uh, pro-diversity hiring. Um, we like, uh, how many companies did you see put out Black Lives Matter statement over the last year and a half? Um, these white nationalists don't like that. Not saying it'll definitely make you a target, but it puts you on the other side of the argument as them. Um, so I think that coming from those perspectives, people can see or should see that, you know, this domestic terrorism, this white nationalism is a threat to pretty much everyone that they come in contact with. Um, you're never gonna see a company that's just gonna be like, hey, I'm with those guys over there. Uh, holding the, the swastika flags. No one's, no uh, CEO is gonna come out and do that. But at the same time, they're, on, they're by default on the other side of that, making them you know, not allies with these guys. And nope, that means you no, know, they're not gonna have a second thought about protesting in front of your building, about causing violence on a street that your, your, your office is on, um, or causing violence in an area where you might have some employees, especially in today's environment. A lot of people are working from home. You don't really know where uh, your employees are during the workday. That's you know another variable thrown in there that you have to keep in keep in mind. What? How do you see this threat developing in the, in in the next years? Uh, they, they clear it now. They they have a platform. They they have a voice, and this is why we've uh, these white nationalists um, they've come out of the shadows. Not to them now, this is fair game. You know, according to them, they just want to protect the constitution. Uh, they want to protect the country, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but how do you see this threat? Uh, the, these people as, as threats to, to the safety of people. Uh, how do you see that developing in, in the next five years, six years? Um, long-term, Long-term, my hope is, and it's gonna depend on a lot of different things. Um, we'll get to a place, you know, where they're, they're back, you know, in the minority, clearly they're back in that uh, quiet, you know, white nationalism. Uh, they, they, back to where the, the point where they understand, yeah, you have these views, but it's not gonna happen. Uh, your, your end goal will never be. Um, in the short term, however, I think it's it's going to get worse before it gets better. Um, like you said, they have the voice. They've been given a voice for the last uh, five years. They've been given free reign to say and do kind of whatever they want. Um, and, you know, point being uh, example one, January 6th uh, at the Capitol. Um, they're, they're already the FBI is focusing on several white nationalist group leadership as, you know, 
instigators and, and main proprietors of this uh, attack, we'll call it. It's something right now that, you know, something that has to be said that they, they were given a lot of leeway on that day. And it's stuff like that that's only gonna make it worse before it gets better. They're, 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 they have, they're of the mindset right now. They can say and do whatever they want and pushing them back, which we have to do, pushing them back into uh, being quiet and, and kind of you know making sure everyone else is safe is gonna cause them to, to increase um, their agitation. So once that happens, it's going to get, we're going to, we're going to see a spike. We're already seeing a spike in several different areas of, you know, racial attacks against, you know, Asian American population here. Um, we've seen an increase over the last few years in, in uh, hate crimes against Black Americans, against Latino Americans, um, LGBTQ Americans. Um, when we see stuff like that happening, it's, it's going to continue to happen as we push back harder and harder on that. And it's something we have to do, like I said, but we're gonna see more and more of this uh, until we get to a point where it's no question what's gonna happen moving forward until there's no question that um, the United States and the, and the world is moving to a point where uh, equality and equity among race, orientation, all of that is met. Yeah, but it seems it's going to be a long way. And um, uh, this is for sure one of the monitoring items that is not likely to go away from any intelligence or protective intelligence units. Yeah. Um, uh, Harrison, one last question. Do you have any advice uh, for those, um, those students uh, that are about to graduate um, that uh, are considering the world of intelligence? Uh, what is the secret sauce, according to Harrison Walker? <laughs> <laughs> um, that's a great question. So something I'll say is, is dive in. Um, there's a lot out there, um, and there's a lot of areas of intelligence out there to the point where you, you can really find your, your niche environment. Um, what I'll say is, Certain parts of intelligence aren't necessarily going to be an interest for everyone. Do and and go all out. Do do the research. Um, talk to people. Network. Uh, and really, really, you know, put put the work in and then do the internships if you can to try to you know get your foot in the door. Because once once your foot's in the door, that's what really you know kickstarts it. And um, like I said dive into that, you know, that one area for now that, that you think, hey, this is what I want to research. This is what I like. And um, I think that's your best bet to, to, you know, get in the industry. All right. Well, you know, it, it's been a pleasure talking to you, discussing about this, this, this topics. And I think it, 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 we should have more conversations like this and not just leave it to to the activists to voice their concerns. I think as professionals, we should also voice our concerns from, from, uh, from this, uh, this point of view, but it's been a pleasure, really. Thank you very much for taking the time to uh, talk to us today. Absolutely, thank you for having me. It's, it's been great seeing you again, Efren, and uh, nice to meet you, Phil. And um, let's talk again soon. All right. 
Well, that was episode five. To the audience, thank you very much for tuning in. I am your chief of station, Efren Torres, speaking to you from somewhere in Nepal. We'll see you later. End of briefing.